This is the ZMAR Podcast. Elite Benefits of America helps small and mid-sized companies with their health insurance programs. And now, your host, Butch ZMAR. Today we're going to talk about roles and responsibilities. I'm going to start off with a uh, shipwreck scuba diving story, and then we're going to move into employer and insurance agent responsibilities because there's some things coming to light more so today than ever, and you're going to see more and more of it. So there's a lot of information to behold, but we'll talk about an exciting shipwreck dive that we set up and executed a 390-foot deep shipwreck not length i don't remember the size of the shipwreck it's obviously some good size but it was 390 feet deep i did not do that one but um i was supporting i'm going to walk through some of that great shipwrecks that are deeper uh very few people have visited them um there was a period of time i would say in the 70s and the 80s and early 90s especially on the east coast where a lot of these uh they call bottom dwellers um and they would go down and just basically rape the ship and and steal things and some laws have changed since then they're in u.s territory i do believe that there's uh rights that you can't take anything from the bottom but but most of the deeper ones uh, you don't have enough air um, to bring things up unless you're part of some mission and then you have to get permits and um, usually noah's involved and probably the military in some capacity but these shipwrecks are just cool to look at the silhouettes that they produce underwater it can be dark down there but uh it's a really Uh, interesting dive when you work so hard to get there there's a lot of drilling there's a lot of practice there's a lot of things just like in any elite or extreme sport um, that's out there Um, deep shipwreck diving is no different it's not for everybody but I've been on some deep shipwrecks too but the deepest I've been is 220 feet probably about 240 to the sand I didn't go down to the sand Um, uh, I actually had some equipment issues on that dive and we'll talk about that on another podcast but but I did uh, make it there and uh, was able to explore the shipwreck a little bit and head back up there's definitely some good and deeper shipwrecks Um, one thing to point out about preservation is that you know salt water decays ships a little bit faster but if they're bigger they usually stick around a little longer it's usually dark really dark down there in some cases in other cases like when i did the 220 foot dive it was crystal clear water but you could still see shadows and uh, uh until you brought your flashlight out and flashlights are better today than ever before and so it definitely enhances the experience that when you're down there that deep but a lot of things can go wrong that's why you need a lot of experience you need training you need um to study it you need to drill on it you know there's a lot of things going on because you know as you're descending down even if you had to abort the dive early to get the 390 feet there's a huge glass ceiling above you you can't just come straight up to the surface that's gone over in training and practice and then it just gets drilled in your head and so like for example there's this thing called bottom time when you leave the surface um, the clock starts you get down to wherever your destination is in this case it was a shipwreck and uh, you swim around the shipwreck in the moment that you uh, call the dive meaning you start coming back up ascending that's when the bottom time stops so just for an example you know depending on the depth that you're going to a 20 minute dive may cost you 60 minutes or more to get out of the water and so um, there's a lot of time invested you really have to distract your mind for sure some people will bring fun stuff in cave diving 
I have read, I've not done cave, but in cave diving, I've heard some people bring in paperback books and so they could read through as they're sitting there for these um, safety stops uh, or deco stops in some cases they, they call it. Now we have, you know, underwater gaming. Some of the dive computers actually have games built into them um, that distract your mind a little bit, but you could be down there for a long time. Uh, the glass ceiling is real. Uh, it could cause... Um, the bends, if people have heard of that, so rapture of the deep, some people call these nitrogen bubbles that build up. And, and on deeper dives, you could actually get helium bubbles that build up, and that's a whole other animal. But on deeper dives, it's always safer and better um, and actually a lot more fun uh, if you have a crew to support you with equipment and dive planning and logistics and even just feedback and sometimes sitting in a room doing a, a dive plan. It's always nice to get a roundtable discussion along with having support when you need it the most. It even starts off with the boats. The captains really need to know how to handle these types of dives. Your dive buddies, these are the ones that go with you, as well as the support. Uh, you have to be on the same page. You have to get along. You have to have similar equipment. You got to have the same philosophies, um, just like a team would, internal or external of your company. And there was deep support and shallow support on this dive. And I'm trying to remember, but the deep support, um, it's all about timing. So they actually had a time. They delayed their entry to the water after the main divers went in. I believe that their stop was somewhere around 190 feet. I do recall there was some type of hesitation or some issue that was going on. Uh, nothing serious that caused a delay in time. One of the support divers did go a little bit deeper. I think he made it to 210 before they saw him come back up, but everything was fine. Um, and that happens in, in life. We watch a lot of Hollywood movies, and of course it's Hollywood, and they delay this, you know, this, this impact of problem that somebody's having. It happens in real life, too. Uh, it doesn't mean anything is wrong or outcomes. I mean, uh, uh, it could be miracles that occur or just um, just good faith and effort but the shallow support um the deepest we went i believe is 80 feet and the difference between the deep and the shallow other than depth the deep support is definitely there to help manage any emergencies that occur if there is anything extra like uh, a tank uh, empty tanks or equipment that they just don't need they take it from them so their dive is a little bit easier on the way up because uh, when you're decompressing or doing these safety stops on the way up it's very, very important to not have as much stress. And so if you could eliminate some of that stress, so that's what they're there for. Um, and then also that would be one of the turning points for some uh, emergencies that may occur. Thankfully on this one, it did not, but th these are obviously safety protocols just in case something did occur. The shallow support, very similar. By the time they get up there, there's probably more equipment they could offload um, that they're not using or no longer needed. Uh, we could probably do a whole podcast on that needed equipment. We probably should get buddy of mine, Tim Lindsay, on here, and we could talk uh, about some of that. But we're also there to actually um, make sure that they're doing okay, feeling well, because um, believe it or not, we breathe these airs, even even just straight air, at the surface, and there's really no impact on it um, because we're at the surface. But when you add pressure to it, um, some of the things have changed, and so. In this case, since there was helium, there's helium issues um, because we added helium to the tank. There's still oxygen in there, but there could be a high exposure to oxygen, and that could poses an issue. And then, of course, nitronarcosis. So it could be pain in joints or, or uh, inflamed areas. And so not that we could 
immediately eliminate any of their pain but just like when you're sick at home it's always nice to have some support and just in case um not necessarily hold somebody's hand but just to be there uh even if it's just to run a, get a cup of water you can't do that underwater but um but if we could just um provide some element of support it makes things a little bit easier it was a lot of fun there's probably like four of us that were shallow support and we just kind of swim around make sure we just keep uh, an eye on them and uh it was fun to be there nothing happened we just took equipment from them and we actually brought it up there was somebody else hanging um usually from shipwreck when we do shipwreck dives in the ocean there's a a line hanging out with a bar going across um at 20 feet so some of the stuff we went and just hung it on there and somebody was either free diving or just had a small scuba unit they go down and grab the gear and get it back on board of the boat and it's all part of the support team and so everybody has their role and it's definitely important along the way there's a lot of things that we can go through maybe in a different podcast about inert gas and equipment and length of times underwater uh recreational versus technical there's a whole bunch of stuff and uh, prior to my kids uh coming around and joining hockey scuba was definitely the passionate sport for me and we've done some extreme stuff we've had all kinds of stuff that occurred between blowing hoses running out of air bad currents and blowing off shipwrecks and lip bags that didn't work and uh, showing up in the wrong spot because of bad navigation skills or just because you got turned around i mean there's a whole bunch of stuff that we could talk about that's a lot of fun there's good stories in there um and so the support team is obviously important because uh, to do a 390 foot shipwreck by yourself or even with one other buddy could cost lives but also um financial risk and other things there's books about this we read about past stories but of course moving forward uh technology and everything uh, takes into place but you need the support team to do it so employers also need their support team they can't do everything they don't have the expertise or knowledge times have changed on how some of the service models uh, occur and the relationship between the broker and the employer and in some cases there's little impact right now but things are on the horizon on larger groups uh, or just even small to mid uh, somewhere between small and medium size there's definitely some drastic changes that are to occur whether it's currently with your broker or somebody else's things are are definitely changing so the purpose of this is just to kind of make you aware uh, that things are coming on, on the pipe and how things are being approached and so that you're a little bit more aware of it including we're starting to implement some things even uh, right now and so in the past with benefits insurance agencies it was easy to provide additional customer service we just take care of it there uh, when things started coming in that the resources couldn't be purchased by the employer we would supply it for them uh, we were just basically this active working arm and we got compensated at a reasonable amount for it to be in business the employers don't, don't pay it for us directly in most cases this is shifting and so um, i've talked about this on other podcasts but um, as time went on the support that we're providing has additional costs obviously especially now in 2022 there's a lot of inflation issues cost is going through the roof there's um now things that we have to add to the puzzle because of compliance issues there's certain things that were passed in law that we have now have to do it's adding more of a burden to the broker community and then i guess you know what does uh, does the employer care right 
Well, in 2014, the Affordable Care Act changed how we did business and how we're compensated. The compensation model had changed. And so in, a, in an environment where an employer is uh, seeking advice and expertise outside of the company, generally speaking, they're getting a, a consultant agreement or a scope of work and then um, an invoice. Well, when it comes to insurance products, we don't have that. We get a premium, but it's to the insurance company. And for benefits specifically, you're paying the insurance company, the insurance company is paying us, but you have no idea what we're being compensated. There's disclosures that are now need, need to be required, which is a burden to the broker to a degree. Now it's just something else on our desk that we have to take care of. Otherwise, we're penalized. And so things are just definitely shifting. And again, most of these are on the Affordable Care Act compliant plans. Uh, even though a large group doesn't comply 100%, but even if they're uh, with the mainstay carriers, most likely the uh, commission models are going to be very similar. Um, but especially if you're 100 employees and below, this is definitely a huge impact to the broker and then how we're able to service you. The other thing is some of those compensation models haven't changed since 2014. A lot of them were paid on a per head basis because the insurance company was ahead of their game. And so that per head amount um, has not changed since 2014. Obviously, we have inflation going on uh, in 2022 and even obviously before just time has gone by. And so things cost more and then we're still getting paid at the same rate as we did in 2014. So it's um, I mean, it's eight years, literally, um, since the commission changes. It's probably a little bit longer because some of the commission changes started in 20, um, 2011. And that was the first impact. And then it phased from 2011 to 2014 to where it's at today. We haven't changed and changed. We're trying to provide the same level of support. It's getting becoming harder and harder to support the employers at the same pay. We're probably almost 40% reduction in overall compensation compared to what we were. And then our cost is up. So it's probably much higher than that where our profit margins are definitely going down. And in some cases, we're actually working for free and we're not telling the uh, employer about it. We had one employer that uh, definitely took advantage of us to a, to a certain degree uh, because we were just like, yeah, just send it to us. We'll take care of it. Yeah, just send it to us. Take it. We'll take care of it. We're just trying to just help, right? We're, we're here to support and, and help uh, anything that's needed. But then there's the law of diminishing returns. So we were actually, from a billable hour perspective, um, for the last two years now, we've actually lost money on this account. And um, they're not small by any means. But so we had to have several conference calls. We had to readjust. We actually had to create a document of roles and responsibilities of both parties. And so kind of like a scope of work for consultants. And that was the first time we've ever had to do that. It actually made the process so much smoother that everybody was on the same page. Um, it's It just seemed like it, it was a better fit because it seemed like there was a lot of confusion back and forth because there was tasks that they were supposed to be taken care of, but somehow they were trying to push it on us and without asking us or talking to us about it. And it just kind of got crazy. So, but most benefit agencies or even if you're part of um, a bigger agency that does both the commercial and the benefits, they just never had to go down this road. And so it's definitely something newer. And so we're going to, you're going to start seeing some of these services, um, you know, be passed on because um, the broker can't eat some of these costs and then everything gets down to a billable hour rate. Just like your CPAs, they have software and technology that they're using along with um, attorneys. They're using 
licenses that they're paying for um, and they just incorporate it in their billing fee and you're going to see some of that coming up uh, going forward the payroll companies have been doing it for years they're not giving away anything for free they're charging for everything they might give it away to save the business and then get you hooked because it's hard to move payroll companies Um, but they charge they charge per employee no matter what Um, And that's the other thing that we're running to is that um, some of the employer bases that we work with, not everybody enrolls. We're only getting paid on who's enrolled versus not. We could have a 100-employee company that only has 10 people enrolled because either they're young enough and they're on their parents' plans or they're on their spouse's plan. There's a whole bunch of combinations that get in there. We're only paid on the 10, but we have to manage 100. And so the pay is just getting less and the work is just getting harder. And so some of the things are, are changing. It's important to know what um, your role is as the employer, an HR professional or CFO or the owner, and the broker. You need to know what the broker's role is and what their compensation model is. Uh, it's definitely questions you need to ask. What's their time worth, right? And that, Because there might be a certain situations where uh, you just need to outsource something to get rid of it, right? Take it off your desk. Can you just take care of this? Well, there's a cost that comes with that if you can't do it internally. This is similar to attorneys, CPAs, that support you and your business, right? They're trusted strategic partners that work with your business to move you to the next level. With benefit uh, or insurance agents in general, we are risk consulting, but uh, in this particular conversation is when it comes to um, financing healthcare for your employees. It's all we're really trying to do is your employees will have medical claims and what you're trying to do is figure out a mechanism to finance it for them. And that's what insurance premiums are. It's not a uh widget inside of a box um, you're either paying for coverage coverage uh, cash um, not employer specifically i'm just saying in healthcare in general you're either paying cash at the uh, time of visit or you're financing it through the insurance company there's no magic here um, so it's either um, one or the other and and what we're our job is to help you manage that risk and then finance it with um, an affordable rate of some degree to help finance that and then obviously risk um, accordingly because there's employer groups that are a lot more expensive than other groups. Uh, they also provide resources in other areas for the business or HR because we have access to so many consultants that are out there, whether it's related to insurance or not. And so we provide a whole bunch of other resources that uh, you may need to get access to, such as um, even HR outsourcing for certain projects so that your current HR is not bogged down by that task because they could focus on more productive things in the company. Um, And so like, for example, employee handbooks, you might get to a certain level that the cookie cutter handbook's not gonna work anymore because you have state specific things in certain states or certain class employees that you need to take care of. That is a little bit more expertise. Sure, in-house could do that, but if you outsource it, somebody that has a lot more experience than that in-house person. We also advocate for you and your employees. There are times when claims occur and there's a problem or you have a problem with the insurance company whether it's a bill reconciliation on audit or some claim experience definitely something to um that we're we're an advocate for the commission model has changed uh, for us so how we get compensated to do the same support and role doesn't it's not there anymore and so it's become more relevant in our industry more and more publications are coming out with strategies and how to work with this because Uh, We've never been consultants um, paid directly by the employer. But I think initially, um, like right now, definitely what's going on is some of these insurance agencies are actually doing a blended model. So if we have an expectation of how many hours it's going to take to service a, a, a company, 
then we can come out with a billable rate and then we use credit from the commissions to apply to it. Any balance would be paid for and responsible by the employer. And so we're seeing some of that. We're doing some of that in some cases. Other cases, there's not enough commissions, but uh, if we're not doing the work, then um, it really doesn't matter. But if there's work involved, at least they're aware. So be aware of some scope of work agreements. Um, you might even at the renewal or when someone takes over a business, you might see a contract show up. Hopefully it's one pager or two um, versus 10. So you don't have to get your attorney to look at it. You can review it and say, okay, the broker is explaining what your role is and what your responsibility is and then what theirs are and then what that you're they're bringing to the table which sets expectations because there's a lot of lazy insurance agents out there and they're not doing the work they're supposed to and you don't know that until something's in front of you to gauge it by that's why some of these insurance agents are actually coming out with scope of work even if there's no payments being tossed uh, meaning like they're not invoicing you for anything it's really just to explain uh, what the roles are and defining what's there, what's yours and what's theirs. And so, um, and everything can be working in a cost and time and effective manner. So after all, it is technically called an employer sponsor plan. It's not an agent sponsor plan. You are at the end as an employer responsible for those benefits, providing it, financing it, and making sure your compliance is taken care of everything. You're responsible if you're going to provide it or either by choice or mandated um, to compete for these talented employees, uh, you're ultimately responsible. You're just hiring consultants to make sure that happens. It is not necessarily always the agent. They're just there to provide the resource, implement the resource, assist with any matters to get it done, and then obviously they need to be compensated fairly uh, for the time and effort that uh, and resources they bring to the table. If you own a business, Elite Benefits of America wants to remind you that health insurance open enrollments are either happening now or coming very quickly. And this is the time to review and implement a health care plan to make or keep you as the employer of choice. Deadlines for open enrollment range between November 1st and January 1st. Get ahead of the curve. The Small Business Special Enrollment Period, part of the Affordable Care Act, now allows employers with 49 employees and under to offer health benefits without contributing a dime to the employee plan. Help your employees save money on taxes with health insurance they're already paying for with their hard-earned dollars. Butch Zemar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit EliteBenefits.net or call 708-535-3006. So just like your CPA accountant attorney, there's obviously much needed advice and resources that you can't take the time away from your current position or profit center to to learn and, and get good at and actually implement. So there, there are still aspects and desired outcome for the employer's needs, and therefore they need to pay for that advice. But again, in a lot of cases, the compensation model may be fair and reasonable for what your company is asking for, but just expect that you're going to get a scope of work agreements uh, in front of you and then what that cost is and then hold the broker accountable. At least you know what their role is. You could hold them accountable and then what what's a fair wage at that point you're able to shop and compete because eventually I think at one point in time you're going to pay for premiums, you're going to pay for the consultant. It's going to be completely two separate things. There's no longer that the employer is going to 
get away with not paying for the broker because the uh, insurance company is eventually going to not pay us. So just like uh, the support role in scuba diving, um, this deep shipwreck, there's support for the employer, HR, CFO, uh, and achieving uh, their goals and financing a, a group health insurance plan for their employees. And so just like the scuba diver, you know, the story I mentioned, the support divers are not the ones going the 390 feet for the shipwreck. They're just there to support those who are. The employers get doing the deep dive into the employee benefit arena. And what you're doing is needing the support to make sure it's executed safely. Mm-hmm.